Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller Bitcoin. We just want to emote to I'm a huge fan of you and what you've done with Club Lab. That um, you know, you guys are really the tip of the spear out there. Getting you guys uh, and Bolt Fun, I would say, are the, the two groups that are you know really finding the developers pre-company. Maybe they're you know even learning to code with you guys. And uh, just yeah, hats off. Like y'all have also built such a cool community. Like whenever I'm down in Austin. Um, I find myself wishing we had a Plub Lab here in San Francisco. So if anyone's listening to this and wants to start a Plub Lab in SF, would love to see it. It's some really cool energy y'all y'all built there. Yeah, thank you. I think I I think I figured it out. I think I figured out how to do Plub Lab without that much capital anymore. So at, we we just moved into this new space. So I've opened up three Plub Labs at this point. The first one at Capital Factory, the second one on Sixth Street, and then I this both. yeah this this third one here in, in Brazos. So we're getting pretty good at opening up Plub Labs. But to go back to your, to your question about, uh, yeah, I think there's multiple teams. I think Plub Lab is just primarily focused just on the Bitcoin business side and the Bitcoin startup side. We also have like Base58 and Bitcoin++, the Tabcomp people, uh, Bolt.Fun, like all these, like you said, there's multiple teams out there. We're just, we're just really niche on the Bitcoin business and Bitcoin startup side. But, uh, yeah, no, it's great. and definitely just the community, man. I think that can't be overstated. Just the energy of walking into Plub Lab and having you and Kian and Super and like, uh, and I'm sure it's way bigger now. I mean, I haven't been in Austin like a year, but um, it's special. And you know, you guys are what makes Bitcoin the future of Bitcoin bright. So uh, I would love to see more Plub Labs everywhere. Um, so yeah, let's jump into it. I, tell us about Hive Mind. Tell us about you're you're one of you're one of those guys. Like I would just say this, people are listening at home, like. Max is one of those guys that when you talk to as a founder, he's going to like, he's going to be your best friend. Like he's going to tell you everything you need to know. He's going to make you feel better. Even if it's bad news, he's going to deliver to you. But <laughs> no, seriously, because I've had these conversations with other founders. And so can you just talk about why you go with that approach? Because there's other VCs that go with different approaches, but you have always been more earth grounded in that, in that respect. So, Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I definitely, I do my best to keep it real with people and, and speak my mind. You know, one advantage that I have, I think I have two advantages. One, you know, I'm not like a quote unquote lifelong VC. Um, you know, prior to starting Hivemind, I did invest in another fund version one um, for about a year and a half. And I've run Hivemind for a little over two years. So, you know, I, I've been doing this for a while and I've been in and around investing in sort of Silicon Valley for a little over a decade. But, you know, I, I was mostly... Um, myself, you know, someone out there building stuff. I, I helped to start as the first hire, a company called Bright, which is like Sunrun or Solar City from Mexico. I lived in Mexico for a long time, went back and forth, you know, to San Francisco. I had a lot of friends that were at software companies and, you know, AI companies. I had friends that were very early at OpenAI and DeepMind. And so I've gotten, you know, a first hand ride with a lot of technology waves, but typically with the builders, with the engineers. And so um, that's just kind of my you know, my bias. I mean, I used to live with a lot of those guys and, um, I guess I think a little bit more like, <laughs> like the builders and, and can empathize a bit more. And I also don't necessarily plan on being a VC forever. I mean, I think it's an extremely fun and challenging and interesting game and it's a great opportunity to be one, but, um, you know, I have always taken the approach with hive mind that I only want to do this as long as I can add something new, as long as it's interesting for me, as long as, um, you know, I see like a unique and sort of special opportunity. I, I, I don't want to live long enough to, to die the villain, like a lot of venture funds have. <laughs> um, so, anyway, so, so that's kind of the first thing. Um, and the second thing is because I've taken an approach where I keep my funds 
you know, very small and I'm a solo GP. I have no other partners. There's no one else on the team. Um, although that it, it, some days it feels like it'd be more helpful to have some help, but, you know, being a solo GP is incredibly helpful for me, at least in my style. Um, because I, you know, there is no kind of like decision-making process per se. It's, you know, I meet a founder. If, if I, you know, think the market is interesting. I think the founder is interesting. I see that they have a path forward. Like I can offer a term sheet on the spot and I usually do. Um, I'm pretty quick with deciding. And, um, and if I don't like something, I'd try my best not to waste people's time. Like when I was first getting into VC, like, you know, and I went through, you know, probably thousands of meetings in my last fund. Um, maybe that's a little hyperbole, but, but probably not, you know, and at first I would take, oh, well, if this doesn't quite, you know, fit, maybe we'll do a follow-up call. And, you know, now it's like, I just, I know I only have so many shots on goal. And, um, if it's not a fit, I'll be honest and tell someone this is probably not a fit for me. Um, and I'll tell them why, and I'll be like, you know, as honest as I can be. And then, um, try and offer whatever I think would be helpful for that person here, whether it's maybe it's, they shouldn't be raising VC or maybe there's another fund they should be talking to. Um, so anyway, so I, I think just being a solo GP and having, um, you know, <laughs> very limited, uh, sort of, you know, uh, bureaucracy around me helps me to, to keep it real, which, which I appreciate. And, and also keeping small funds, you know, I only invest super, super early. Occasionally I've done some later stage stuff, um, you know, to, to, to be in certain companies and around certain teams, but you know, the bread and butter of what I do is first money in. Usually it's one, two people, an idea, maybe a little bit of traction and that's it. And that's the game that I enjoy. Um, you know, I have no, uh, desire or plans to ever, you know, scale to something, um, with larger funds and larger management fees and more bureaucracy and more modeling. You know, I, I like being a cowboy and, um, you know, for now I have no plans to ever change that. Awesome. Those are great answers. I have some follow-ups to that though. So as founders, when we deal with VCs and just in general, you know, you, you get the, you get the kind that will just ghost you. They'll just straight up ghost you. They'll never talk to you again. We'll get the ones like you who actually tell you, Hey, I'm not going to invest, but this is where you should be. This is where you should go to next, or at least some helpful advice. And then you get the third one where they'll just keep leading you on. Why do you think, why do you think those three things exist for founders in the Bitcoin space specifically? Well, I don't think that's specific to the Bitcoin space. I think that's like just the truth for, for VC. And, you know, I mean, look, I've been on, I've been on both sides of the table. I've also started things that, um, you know, I obviously I mentioned I've been a part of early teams that have done well. And then I've started things myself, which are completely flopped. Uh, I remember when I was like 22 and we were trying to start and, energy efficiency crowdfunding and then solar crowdfunding company and like had really no business doing that and you know learned the hard way you know trying to pitch people having a lot of people dragging us on and you know people oh i'm gonna invest and saying you know the check size ends up being 10 you know 10x less and so i i've seen a lot of things and i you know i i'll say this i think most um i think most vcs are not malicious if they're ghosting you or whatever like the first thing to understand is like I, you know, I've been, you know, quote unquote, an associate at a larger fund and you just have so much on your plate that it, it's a lot. And, you know, you, um, have limited hours in the day and, you know, often higher ups that are asking you to do other things. And, and yeah, and it's like, it's easy to let things slip through the cracks, even if you don't mean to be malicious. And I think it's, you know, it's sad because you have maybe some a lack of empathy on the, for the founder side as well. And, uh, I think that comes from maybe not having, you know, been on both sides of the table. So I don't think it's really specific to Bitcoin VC. I think that's just a, an artifact of having, um, you know, people with a lot on their plates, maybe haven't been in that other role before and, and you know, don't necessarily have that empathy. Um, and I think as you, you know, do this for a while, at least I, as I've done this for a while, you just get better at saying, nope, but, you know, here's why. Or, or you know, I've gotten even way more selective with meetings I'll take because you just take so many meetings, you burn out, you, know, you don't want to do <laughs> one more Zoom call. And so you kind of get a sense really quickly. For me, at least, I know there's only very few kind of like market opportunities that really get me excited. And so if it's not, you know, in one of those market opportunities, and typically I write about those, I'll talk about them on podcasts and stuff like open source AI projects, um, you know, Nostr related projects. Um, and the, la the first one, a lot of sort of lightning infrastructure apps and some like local exchanges. But like, I've been very clear about what I'm interested in. And if it's not something I'm interested in, I'll just try and, you know, nix that in the bud. Um, so anyway, so yeah, but to your original question, I don't think it's a Bitcoin VC thing. I think that's just like a VC thing. And, um, I think most people have good intentions. It just, you know, it gets busy out there. Yeah. So I want to keep going on this VC, VC, VC thing. Cause I, I, there's a lot of questions that a lot of us builders and founders have oh, right. that we, that we talk, <laughs> talk amongst ourselves. Right. And then we can never get these answered. And this is where, this is why I'm having some people on. I want to want them to answer this. Um, so yeah. the next one is, so there's a lot of like, I don't know what, I don't know. It just started, Max. I don't remember hearing this two years ago, but I feel like there's a lot of prominent Bitcoiners uh, who you would consider like very in high regard um, to amongst a lot of people. 
kind of hitting back on the Bitcoin VC uh, thing and saying it's not right and it's incentives are destructive and all, all the way down, ducks all the way down. Uh, and, and now they're, they're getting to a point now where they're criticizing the builders because they're just building and trying to figure out new, new interesting ways to make Bitcoin businesses. What, what would you, what would be your kind of like um, your view on that when you, when you see that out there, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but that's just kind of what I've been seeing a lot of uh, here in the ground on Austin and stuff like that. Well, first of all, I mean, look, uh, to be clear, it's it's the builders that make all of this stuff possible. I mean, financing for the builders and, you know, strategy and whatever else VCs offer. I mean, like that, sure, that's that's helpful. But at the end of the day, <laughs> no builders, no industry, right? And so there's there, there's no question what's the most viable there and thing there. And and to be clear, you can also see a lot of businesses that, you know, grow very big with no financing at all. And increasingly I think you're gonna see a phenomenon where um you know, you may raise a little bit of money at the beginning, maybe because you need it to quit your job, or maybe you need to make one or two or three key hires. But, you know, I think as, as um, you know, AI uh, programming and UI and design tools continue to get better, like I, I fully expect to see unicorn teams that are like 10 people or fewer, without a doubt. And so, you know, I think that means you may need a lot less capital, at least for like sort of traditional software businesses. Um, and in that sense, I think that kind of changes the model of VC a bit because, you know, and especially it's still interesting to me because as a, a seed or pre-seed very early stage fund, that's still interesting to me because maybe I come in and you only take one or two rounds of financing ever. But if you can then ride that and, you know, build a company that's doing, you know, tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, which I think is very possible, then that can still be a really interesting outcome and exciting outcome, both for the founder and for me as an early stage investor. I think that raises a lot of questions for some of the leader stage, big fund guys, um, though. Um, and not to say that there's, you know, there's not going to be a role for that kind of financing. I think that there's no question that venture capital has a place in the economy. And I think people that just like, I think it's really easy, you know, to kind of like throw the baby out with the bathwater and be like, ah, oh, you know, VCs are, they suck and they don't the scammy stuff. And like, yeah, some VCs suck. Some VCs have done scammy stuff, but like, that's kind of ridiculous to, to, to levy <laughs> risk capital as an asset class as, as, you know, all being that, I mean, what venture capital is really beautiful for. And what I think, you know, you're going to see more of it for is, you know, taking fundamental risk. And often that's real technological or market risk. So, you know, if you're, if you're trying, you know, particularly in sort of deeper tech stuff, right? Like you're, you're trying to build, you know, I don't know, new kinds of batteries or quantum computers or, you know, um, gene editing tools, like there, there needs to be risk capital for that. Right. Um, probably some like, you know, maybe there was public financing for the actual basic science and then risk capital to try and commercialize it. And then I think for, you know, increasingly for software and internet businesses, maybe you need a lot less venture capital, but there still might be real market risk. And and that's why I feel like the the asset class or the stage that I've gone at, you know, it's never going to go away where you, a little bit of money to get started and run some experiments and make a few hot first few hires um, and, you know, get some potentially valuable connections and advice. I, I don't think that's ever going to, you know, fully go away. But, um, yeah, so, so in general, I would just say, uh, you know, it, it's easy to, to spot a few bad actors and associate an entire asset class with it. And I think that's just kind of ridiculous. Um, there always is going to be room for innovation, experimentation, and risk capital to finance experimentation, full stop. Now, in a full Bitcoin standard, I do agree, you know, that um, perhaps you're a little bit less wild with your money, right? You know, you know that the value of your money is going to go go up over time versus knowing the value goes down in a fiat economy, especially with zero interest rates that we've had for a long time. And um, I think that maybe means the bar gets higher to be able to raise uh, this kind of financing. But I don't think the asset class will ever die. In fact, I think it will only expand over time as more people want to try cooler and riskier things. Yeah, that's a great answer. Yeah, so I guess all the people that are kind of um, out there, you know, against Bitcoin VCs. I mean, they, they just need to take a, a, a wider look, it sounds like, and, and realize that not everybody is um, acting in, in a nefarious or malicious way. Well, and, and I also think it's just like, look, I mean, you, you can you can think, I, I think one thing that's really dangerous is to like paint, you know, <laughs> to have a hammer, right? And then look for everything to be a nail. And you can have one tool and be like, Bitcoin is awesome. And like, you know, everything's going to get repraced and sad. It's like, yes, and not yes, but you know, yes, and there will always be interesting people trying interesting new things with risk. And so I do think that, 
you know, you're going to see um, the long tail of very small niche businesses, particularly with AI. And this is something I've talked with my buddy DK about on Nostra News a lot. Like, I do see a world where with generative AI, you know, people are kind of like, you know, speaking spells their software into existence. And that's awesome. And maybe you're going to see a ton more of these like sort of micro software companies, micro media companies, micro musicians where, you know, the whole Kevin Kelly thousand true fan thing, you know, if anyone hasn't, you know, heard of that or read that Google thousand true fans, excellent thesis, more than a decade old now. Also just shout out Kevin Kelly. That dude's just been right like (laughs) over and over and over again. Anyways. And you know, I think he's absolutely right. And more right in this current world with micropayments, Bitcoin and lightning and now generative AI you know, and the ability to go direct to your customer, like you're doing right now with your podcast, like there's going to be a lot more people doing cool things that never need to raise financing. And they're doing, you know, relatively small businesses that finance their lifestyles. And that's awesome. But on the other hand, I think this is something that, you know, sort of just like with the rise of modernity and the rise of technology, there's more of everything, right? So there's going to be a lot more of that. And there's going to be a lot more people that are trying really big, bold, ambitious ideas that are also, you know, risk- uh, risky in either technological and or market ways, and they want to raise financing. And for whatever reason, they do want to try and build a major company. Something else I was actually, I did a podcast yesterday. I haven't done podcasts in a while. Now I'm doing two back to back. It's kind of fun. Um, it, it is, I think, you know, y- it's also really easy to be like, oh, the big companies now, man, they're so evil. Like, I hope we never have Googles and Apples and Facebooks again. And I think one thing to keep in mind is even in a Bitcoin economy with, you know, stats and standards and stats flows, like, like there's still an economy, right? You still have, even if the revenue or the the flows are in sats instead of dollars, like you can still build big businesses with recurring revenues. Like that doesn't change. It's just now denominating Bitcoin, right? And so I think that, um, you know, one way of thinking about business models is yes, a lot of companies have gotten really big and really bloated because they're the intermediary. They're the middleman. And yeah, we're going to cut out middlemen with Bitcoin, Lightning, Noster, I'm sure all kinds of new decentralized technologies that are going to merge over the next decade. And that's awesome. Um, but it doesn't mean we can't still have really, really big businesses. I think maybe we won't see, you know, the next wave of super unicorns or whatever you want to call them, really big companies that are as big in terms of percentage of global GDP. But in terms of absolute terms, I think they'll be even bigger. What do I mean by that? Well, if you think about payments, it's a very simple example. In the you know current world, you know your payment networks, your visas, your Mastercards, any of your payment companies, you know typically they're taking whatever three percent, um, you know, cut on whatever payment flow they're processing. Maybe a fixed a fee in addition to that. Well, maybe with the Lightning Network, the order of magnitude falls one or two orders of magnitude. So, so maybe instead of taking 3%, now you're taking 0.3%, right? So yes, your take rate is much lower. But maybe because with the Lightning Network and Noster opening up the size of markets, right? For example, now we're going to have 8 billion people instead of whatever we have, 3 billion people that are really connected to global finance and the internet. Now you have a much larger market of humans. You're about to have trillions of human intelligences that are going to be banked with Lightning Network wallets. It's another big thesis of mine. And you're going to have all kinds of crazy new business models with micropayments that just started more possible until right now. So what happens when you have like, you know, billions more humans, trillions more AIs and all kinds of new business models? Well, the size of the global pie should just get like way, 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 way bigger. And in that world, even if your take rate is smaller, your absolute numbers might actually be bigger than the current crop of companies. So I think there's there's absolutely still going to be public companies. Um, there's absolutely still going to be venture capital, uh, maybe a... Uh, sort of stricter or, you know, less, <laughs> like, let, let's say, um, less ridiculous risk, like, and, and true technological or true interesting business model risk world. But um, yeah, I think you're just going to see more of everything, more indie makers, more venture backed makers, just more software, more creativity. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Now, thank you for answering that. Because, you know, you know, some people don't know. All, all they hear are the people with uh, the loudest, uh, you know, the loudest voice and the biggest following. So they don't really know what's actually going on behind the scenes. And, um, you know, one one thing that gets failed to mention a lot of times are the LPs in, in this kind of process, right? And and uh, how how and where they come from and what they're allocating to and what they're hoping that uh, comes from a fund. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, I mean, what do you mean specifically? Like, 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 why LPs are interested in venture capital. Yeah. Just because from one of the, one of the back channel stuff I'm hearing is just, there's a lot of crypto LPs that are now coming over into, cause they're like, Oh wow. You know, Bitcoin is actually going to be here for their long term. You know, they're, they're no longer playing kind of playing these casino games behind the scenes, you know? Yeah. So I, I guess um, to take a step back, 
So if you don't, you know, I guess now this works. I mean, if, if you're raising money, and, and by the way, you know, you can raise from more than just quote unquote venture capital. So if you're raising from an individual angel investor, as an example, um, that's just maybe someone that made a lot of money. Maybe they sold a company and they want to invest some of that money back into you. It's their own money. Um, typically, someone like that's pretty easy to work with. Um, not always. Uh, if they're not a professional, I say be, be careful because you know uh, if they've only made one investment ever and you go under, they're going to be really mad. Um, so that's that's always something to watch out for. But you know, but like it's their money; they know what they're getting into, and um, and that's kind of one risk profile. If you deal with an institutional venture capital fund, that means that the investor has raised money from outside partners or limited partners, and they're the general partner that actually can sort of deploy that capital. Um, maybe they've committed, you know, a small or uh, hopefully a larger percentage of the fund themselves. Um, more skin in the game is definitely good for incentive alignment, but like the majority of the funds that are deploying are from other people's money and other people's money can come from other places. It can be high net worths, people that are just very wealthy, either, you know, old money or new tech money or whatever. They, they have a lot of money and, and for whatever reason, they see venture capital as an interesting asset class they want exposure to. It could be other institutions, sometimes larger venture funds, like my a venture fund has some larger venture funds that are invested in there. Uh, and then it can be sort of the more traditional you know, um, the large asset allocators. And so this could be university endowments, it could be pension funds, things like that. Um, typically smaller funds are going to be more high net worths and maybe a couple of like bigger venture funds. Um, that's like what predominates for me. A larger fund, if you're raising, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, then you're probably raising from pension funds and endowments. And typically, you know, all of those guys have their own kind of risk appetite. Like entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley, maybe will invest a lot of their money into their venture funds just because that's how they made their money. That's the game they know and they feel comfortable with it. You know, larger pension funds that maybe have billions of dollars in their management, maybe for them VC allocation is like one, two, three, four, five percent, depending on how comfortable they are with it. And maybe that grows over time. And so I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I do think that LPs, you know, I, I can only speak for myself, but I, I mostly raised from, you know, high net worths and some, um, a few institutions, but uh, I also am, you know, traditionally doing smaller funds. My fund one was a $21 million fund um, and I don't want to go too much larger. I like, you know, investing absolute first money in. So I've been very fortunate that most of my capital partners, um, they certainly, almost all of them were Bitcoiners before. So they get the Bitcoin thesis um, they also kind of very much believe in our mission, which is super, super helpful for us to have mission aligned capital all the way up and down the stack. Like everyone wants to make money, of course, but my LPs for the vast, vast majority of them are not interested in shitcoining or trying to pump and dump on retail. Now, a lot of um, endowments and larger institutional funds, sadly, you know, you look at the amount of Bitcoin venture capital and yeah, there's a couple of funds out there doing this. But like, there's not that many, right? In the grand scheme of things, the vast majority, you know, of venture capital is out here in the Bay Area, where you know I'm, I'm based in San Francisco, and um, you know, <laughs> obviously AI is the kind of the topic du jour. But a lot of these funds went all in on quote unquote crypto over the last couple of years, and I, I do think that set us back a while. I think crypto in general has set everyone back, and it's I, I get why Bitcoiners become maximalist and toxic and frustrated. I don't think toxicity is ever the answer. Um, but but I get it. It's like super frustrating for me to go to an event and be like, oh, you know, I invest in Bitcoin. Oh, you're a crypto guy. It's like, no, I have nothing to do with crypto. Uh, <laughs> oh, FTX. I'm like, I have nothing to do with that. Um, but but anyways, I do think, you know, in some ways with a lot of the bigger, you know, capital pools, it did set us back because, you know, these guys, you know, they're they're not doing this. Like, this is not their only full-time obsession. So for them, crypto, Bitcoin kind of means the same thing. And, you know, some of them I think are starting to come around. I've had some crypto funds reach out to me recently. And, um, but, but there's still like a lot of education uh, hurdle there. And like people still don't get the difference. Um, I think it's changing and the longer Bitcoin's around and continues to thrive, it will change and a lot of that money will come back here. But um, I think it's a, a long and slow process. And so, yeah, I mean, I do think it's it's always worth at least asking, you know, VC, where who are your LPs? Where do they get the money from? Like, are they committed to the thesis or not? Um, you know, generally speaking, much better to have LPs that get Bitcoin and, uh, you know, believe in the mission. Wow. Thank you for for answering that, Max. That's, that's uh that's just a, what a lot of founders want to know, you know, incentives are aligned all the way down, right? Like it's, it's tough to build on Bitcoin these days. You got to really find your, your niche. And, uh, and, and like you said, the, the raises are getting a lot smaller now and the ex expectations are a lot higher. So it's good to see that, uh, there's people like you out there, uh, champion that. Yeah. And just to keep it real with everyone, I mean, I, I will say that, you know, for me, when I raised my first venture fund, frankly, it was a lot easier because I was at the height of the last bull. So 21, early 22. And, uh, people were a lot, you know, I think, you know, Bitcoin was, uh, 
maybe it touched 69k even if it didn't i'd like to think it at least touch 69k and maybe the next high will be 420 and there's there's a certain uh, <laughs> cosmic levity I, I find um but you know i um i will say although there are still you know people that are really committed i think in general and not just for bitcoin vc to be clear it's not like oh it's just a bitcoin thing like unless you're like right in the middle of the AI hype cycle. <laughs> um, I think a lot of venture funds have had a lot more trouble raising in this environment and it makes sense, right? Like interest rates are made much higher. So the uh, expected sort of hurdle you have to clear is much higher. People are a lot more, and you also have to remember, right? Like unless you have, like this is also something very important for for raising money all the way up and down the stack with your venture fund, with their LPs. You know, I much prefer just working with high net worth individuals if I can, because it's just so much easier. Just like I think working with me as a VC is very easy because it's just me. Right. I make a decision. I write the check. It's done. There is no like process and debate. And let me get this person to read this deck and check off. Or all these other vote. managing partners. Or yeah, it's a whole decision thing, right? It's a pain in the ass. And the same with LPs. If you have a big institutional fund, and you know, and I've seen this, and and you know, I, I won't name any names here, but there are big endowments. That I've spoken with. And uh, there, there's champions inside those endowments that love what we're doing. Nice. And I, you know, I've let them come into the fund personally. And they're like, bro, if I could, believe me, we would move a big check in here. But like, I have, you know, five levels of clearance I have to get. You know, the managing partner is 70 years God. old and still is like, you know, doesn't understand, you know, the difference between Bitcoin. It's just, so you just have to remember, like, the more bureaucracy up and down the stack, the harder it gets. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, right? Like if you're managing really big pools of capital, probably good to have some bureaucracy around that. But I do think in the game of like early stage entrepreneurship, early stage venture capital, like keep it simple. Same thing with founders. Like I typically, and I made a few exceptions here, but typically don't like like big teams. Like, you know, um, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but one of my favorite founders of all time is Kian. And I... <laughs> really believe that Kian can build Stacker News into one of the biggest companies in the world. I really believe that. I'm so bullish on him. Um, maybe a couple of like full and part-time devs and that's it. And I love that because it just keeps everything so easy. And so, yeah, that's my, yeah. that's my preference. That's great. Okay. So let's jump, let's jump into, before we get into lightning and Bitcoin and wax poetic about all that stuff, because that's, that's the easy stuff. Uh, I want to get into more hard stuff, but thank you for answering all these questions. You're, you're so transparent, Max. I love it. Uh, there's not a lot of people like you out there, but so thank you for that. Let's talk about Nostrian AI. What's, sure. what's going on just on the, on the fun side in, in Bitcoin? Like I, you know, there's really only a couple Bitcoin VCs out there actually investing in Nostra. Is it because it's so early and it's so just the cream right now? There's just not a lot of really good projects out there. Like I don't see the vast majority of Bitcoin VCs investing in Nostra. What's stopping the rest of them from investing in Nostra right now? Yeah. I mean, and, and to be clear, I mean, I think <laughs> for, for better or worse, we'll see how this works out for me, but you know, I, I've invested um, in four or five, like Nostra exclusive companies. And then a bunch of my other companies, um, like Stacker News, like Alvi, like Ellen Bits, like Fountain, like Wave Lake, have like Geyser have backed into becoming Nostra companies. Um, and so I, I can say pretty, pretty with almost certainty, uh, that I think I've been the most active. I think I've been both most active lightning and Nostra develop, uh, investor, but definitely the most active on Nostra. And, um, you know, I think for me, uh, it comes down to um, early conviction and loving the kind of one believing in what we're doing, and I'm very sort of mission driven on this. Two, loving the risk reward profile of coming in that early. Um, you know, I definitely think that again, and different VCs have different stages, right? So a lot of VCs, you know, they're going to say like, okay, well, we need to wait until we see some traction to kind of have the risk reward profile makes sense. And depending on your stage and your fund size, that makes a ton of sense. But the thing is for me, you know, I, I'm typically coming in, if I can get in, you know, as the absolute first money at what I consider to be a very fair valuation for us. Like, obviously I'm not a charity. Like I, I want to, you know, if, if we do well, I want, you know, with one check, the minimum is to, uh, to, to return the fund. By the way, this is something really important for founders to understand. If I have a $21 million fund, any check I write, I need to believe at an absolute minimum um, with very few exceptions that I might do for strategic reasons, but like, let's say 95% of cases that the check that I write at time of exit, my percentage ownership in that company is at least going to return my fund. So as an example, mm. you know, I'm typically writing checks between 250K and a mil. So if I'm writing a check for $250,000, uh, let's just say $210,000, keep the math easy, then I need to believe that my 
uh, ownership percentage. Maybe I'm, you know, if I'm investing at, you know, three or four or five mil post, you know, maybe that means I'm walking away with somewhere like five, 10, maybe a little bit more percentage ownership. If that's the case, then I need to believe that, you know, after all the different rounds of dilution. And so I also have to try and kind of like think in my head, well, like how much money does this company need to raise before they may one day have an exit, which means getting acquired or going public or potentially in the future issuing dividends, which is kind of a, a model that I think might be, become more common. But, you know, how much am I going to get diluted? And so, you know, back of the envelope math, back of the envelope, if I'm investing 210K, I need to believe I'm in 100X on one investment. So if I'm investing in a five mil post to make it really, really easy math and you know, I, I might get to so I actually might need to be higher than this, but I need to believe it's going to exit for at least $500 million, wow. right? We okay. need to return the fund. That's a minimum. That's the absolute minimum. What I really want is to invest in a five mil post or a four mil post, let's say, and believe it's going to exit for $4 billion or more, right? Go public. And I also understand that's extremely rare or even 40 billion or something like that. Right. But that's, that to me is the game that I love. Like the reason I love super, 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 super early stage VC is because you have, you know, uh, very capped known downside. I know exactly what my downside is. If I write a 250K check and the company goes to zero, I lost $250,000. I know. But my upside is unlimited. And I think that's something that, you know, maybe one advantage or disadvantage, depending on how you look at it, that I have is, you know, kind of growing up professionally in and around Silicon Valley. I've seen so many of my friends that have gone through this where maybe they join as engineer number two. This is, you know, true story at a company like uh, Benchlinger. One of my you know friends was the first researcher at OpenAI. So I've seen these cases where they're, equity hundred or thousand X or more. And so I know it's possible. And, um, and, I, and to be clear, I think that's been very rare outside of the Bay area ever. I think that's changing around the world, but that's just, that's something that we've seen happen over and over and over and over again here. So that's kind of the model I've taken. And I, you know, not exactly to the same approach. I don't spread it out nearly as much, but you know, I, I really like the kind of YC model of like, look, if you get in early enough and you back really smart people exploring ideas that are interesting, maybe the idea shifts a lot, but it's in a market where you know you could see if it goes right, it goes really, really right. You can thousand X or 10,000 X on that investment. That's super interesting to me because then I can strike out every deal except for one. Ideally, that's not what happens. And I do have some like, I do have some like mental diversification where I can fund more. And I had a bunch of these kind of like local exchange and lightning nodes. Those I think are going to be really good businesses. Maybe not Google's, but like each could return the fund. But, but I really like placing more of these big, big bets where it's risky, but if it works, it really, really works. And that can only, that can only work if you're comfortable you know, with a lot of losses with cap downside, but, you know, understanding one or two wins can, you know, can return everything many, many times over. Um, so I, I forgot exactly what the original question no, was. So, no, no, that was. So the original <laughs> question was to go back to Nostra because a lot of builders, right. so, so like we were talking about incentives earlier, right? So what's my incentive to get Nostra devs going here to do courses around Nostra? What's my incentive to get like an AI meetup going or to do like the lightning stuff and do the cutting edge stuff? This is what the yeah. builders want to do. But on the Bitcoin business side, the Bitcoin BC side, there's not a lot of y'all allocating to that, to that thing. So for me personally, when people are like, Oh, car, you don't want to do that. Well, they can't do a business even if they wanted to, if they wanted to go that route. So that's where I'm trying to tell you is like, how do we get more Bitcoin BCs to look at invest in Nostra? Is it just a kind of a time? Well, well I think we need to start to see some traction for sure. Um, which I think we kind of, but, but why do I feel comfortable taking some swings here? Because of the risk reward, per, oh, one, because I really believe in this, right? Like, you know, unlike a lot of Bitcoiners and Bitcoin VC, like I'm not like a digital gold guy. Like I get it. It's great. But like, man, it's like, how many times can you say it? Like we get it. It's 21 million and it's fixed. That's awesome. It's, and by the way, my thesis is it's energy backed money. Um, shout out to Andrew Myers from Satoshi Energy that first helped me see that. And yes, it's amazing. And I'm, I'm super sold. But like, that's super boring to me. Now what's interesting is, now that we have this energy-backed currency scaling it, right? And once you can scale it, like the way I think about it is if Bitcoin is, it's not digital energy like Sailor says, that's incorrect. It is energy-backed money, right? And that's a very important difference because, you know, what it's basically saying is that there, what Bitcoin is, is it's built off of markets. Drew Bansell at Unchained says this very eloquently. The, the innovation of Bitcoin, it's not the blockchain, it's not anything technical. Technical things are necessary, but not sufficient. The innovation is markets. And so the first layer one market is um, a market for energy to be traded for compute. Great. That's what creates the, the actual asset. Then on top of that, you can start to scale it, just like in the OSI, um, model, OSI model for um, the internet. You can start to scale that 
just like we did with communications for using that money. And so that's why my fund one was almost exclusively focused on the Lightning Network because it's like, okay, now that we have this, how do we make it useful? Well, you know, the reason, and by the way, that I called my fund Hive Mind instead of some Bitcoin thing is I'm interested in like, you know, sort of arc of evolution and self-emergent um, intelligence and complexity. And so what I see happening here is uh, you've got Bitcoin now as this digital currency. Now, what I see the Lightning Network is, is laying what I'll call the metabolic pathways for a super organism. And so Bitcoin, you can think of as analogous to like ATP in a cell. And these Lightning Pathways um, allow you to move that representation of energy. And now you're going to start to see what I believe uh, is in a behavior very similar to emergent biological behaviors. And so that's very interesting to me, right? Because now you can start to see real-time economies and economies are just like, superorganisms that are that are shifting around representations of energy just like in the biological world and so that's super cool to me um and i think there's obviously a lot of upside around that but then there's still some problems if you want to build a truly open web and a truly open you know sort of hive mind you need a way to move that data around as well and so at first and i'm still open to this you know ryan at lightning labs and drew have talked about this you know, maybe there's going to be a, a layer on top of Lightning directly where you actually have to pay for every packet that's moved around. And I do think in the long run, we're going to see, you know, peer-to-peer networks for physical infrastructure delivered digitally. So things like storage, bandwidth, compute. We've already seen compute with GPUtopia.ai as like a first example of this. Those are all going to emerge. And this is actually kind of sci-fi, but my idea of like a Bitcoin Orboros, right? The snake eating its tail. We have Bitcoin, yeah. Lightning on top of Bitcoin, some layer either on top of it, or maybe it's Nostr, which I think is most likely right now, diagonally tethered into Lightning. So if you want to, you know, eventually pay to post or read from a relay, you'll, you'll pay some stats with that. That eventually gives the ability to meter and go out there and build peer-to-peer wireless infrastructure, like a mesh network, which then will self-host Bitcoin, right? So it's literally self-hosting itself, which I think is just wild and crazy. And that's that's what I think is happening. Um, but you need that uh, you need that layer if Bitcoin is decentralized value network, a decentralized value network, Lightning is a decentralized payment network, you need a decentralized data or communication network. And that's why I think Nostra is. And so why am I willing to take some early bets here? Well, it may be very early. And in fact, some of my LPs that I really respect when I started my fund one for Lightning, you know, in 2021, you know, they're like, look, I get it. I think your thesis is right. Um, you might be early. And if you're early, sadly, that's as good as being wrong because maybe your first wave of companies won't be able to raise enough financing. They won't make it through, you know, enough of the hype cycles. They'll die. And then, you know, that, that would suck for us as a fund. Um, and, and that's true. And, th- and that is a big risk. And I think I'm taking that risk again right now with Nostra. But the way I would say that is the risk adjusts to reward. In addition to the fact that I just want to see this stuff happen. And I like, that's I truly cool. am. Yeah, it's you know, a lot of fun. The Nostra pledge. Yeah. Like, I believe it, right? But from an investor perspective, the risk adjusts to reward, right? Like, the people that invested in Lightning Labs in 2016 or 2017, that was way too early. <laughs> None of that stuff existed. But you know what? I would much rather invest at a sub 10 mil post than whatever their last valuation was. Wow. Right? That's a great guys. answer. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so that's the way I look at this is like when I'm investing in these Nostr, I'm investing in teams. I'm investing in literally individuals, people like Ken. And I look at them and I'm like, this person is super smart and they're super resilient. Are we maybe a year or two early? Totally could be, maybe even a couple of years early. Do I believe this person is sharp enough, committed enough, ships fast enough, resourceful enough, uh, frugal enough that they can cockroach if they have to and ride that next wave? Totally. And if they do, and one of them pops off and becomes like the big infrastructure company or the big application on there, and I got in a three mil post versus a 30 or a 300, I'll take that all day, every day. <laughs> that, that's the name of the game I'm in. So to me, I think that the key that got me comfortable with that is having early conviction. And, you know, I got strong conviction on Bitcoin when I realized it's energy back to money. I got strong conviction on Lightning over many years. But when I started to see the smartest minds in the space, people like Lalu, um, people like Steve Lee and Matt Corolla, like the more people that were going there, the talent magnet, I was like, okay, it seems like this is getting a critical density of like really big brains that are going to build out the infrastructure. Probably a good bet. With Noster, what I love about it, you know, to be clear, I had the least conviction of the three. Like I had the highest conviction on Bitcoin, obviously. Lightning a little bit less. Noster definitely less. But it's so simple. Like someone is going to create a easy ident or like a countless way to transmit data on the internet. That's going to happen. And what I love about Noster is it's like your identity is just a public private key, Bitcoin public key, interestingly enough, which has interesting properties, but it's just a public, it's just a public key. It's like basic cryptography. 
And then the information you're sending is like a JSON blob of seven fields or whatever. It's just so dumb and so simple, but that's why it's going to win, I think. And so anything else is like over-engineered and over-complex. And I just, I don't believe that stuff works in reality. In reality, I think the way biology evolves or builds is you, you have something very simple. And then on top of that, you build something a little bit more complex, but it's like, it's this whole on theory of like parts become holes, become parts of new holes, become parts of new holes all the way up and all the way down. And so I think Noster, it's going to be hard for anything to back its simplicity. The other thing, or to break it's like to sort of like outperform on simplicity. The other thing that gets me really bullish on Nostra, besides the fact that we already have lighting payments, we already have a native community, the people that I know and trust are already building on there, is, you know, you say there's not funding, but there actually is. And huge shout out to Jack Dorsey and OpenSats, right? Like they've given so many grants to some of the smartest people out there, non-dilutive, non-equity grants. You know, equity is not the only way to raise money. Uh, I plan to back many of these guys as they get sharper. Some of them I already have. But um, the fact that there's dozens of these dudes at this point and probably dudettes as well, <laughs> um, <laughs> although I'm not sure. But uh, I mean, they're, they're not going anywhere. And God bless OpenSats and Jack. Um their commitment to this space gives me a lot more confidence. Yeah. I just wish there was more people personally, just on my side, because I see a lot of people wanting to implement Nostra and they have to, you know, because they're trying to make a Bitcoin business, right? So they have to rethink all of that. Um, that's just what I'm seeing on the ground. But the- well, and, yeah. and I would say j- just one last thing, thing on that, like don't force it, right? Like if it yeah. doesn't make sense to build, to just like force Nostra in your app and you probably don't need it. The people that are obsessed with Nostra for whatever reason, like they already know who they are and that's great. I would say, you know, if you're coming to Nostra, think about what new problem it can solve. And so for me, the social media thing, it's cool, but like, I never thought that was going to be the big thing. Like maybe one day, but it's super network effects. Anyone that we bring in for Twitter can now come to new apps. I think something new, like a decentralized marketplace. I don't know for what, maybe it's compute, maybe it's uh, agents, like Christopher's thing, open agents, maybe it's local Bitcoins, but some kind of marketplace seems very promising. So if I were an entrepreneur, I'd probably be exploring that. There's a team in Top Builder right now called Shopster. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Bullish on them. What do they do? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you after the show, but uh, this, is yeah. where, like, this is where it's <laughs> cool being Plub Lab is we get a lot of these really cool uh, cutting edge guys. Uh, and uh, and then when they when you think through it with them, then they're like, yeah, it's pretty cool. So the, the other thing, talk about AI now. Same thing I'm seeing with AI. Like, you know, it's so early. I think Christopher is the only one that I know is actually doing something that's like, he's moving so fast. He's working out of the lab now with open agents. Like, yeah. What's what's your thoughts on AI? Is it uh, is it uh, the Fugazi? Are we uh, actually are we there <laughs> as Bitcoiners? Elf World Twos. I know those work. You've seen it with Cascader and stuff. So what what's what are you thinking there? Well, I, I think first of all, I mean AI is here to stay. Um, and as I I wrote in my piece about a year ago, like we kind of have a choice. Are we going to have? Um, are you going to use centrally controlled AI or something that's you know, in the spirit and ethos of Bitcoin, Lightning, and Noster open. Um, I know where I'm placing my bets, both philosophically and as a fund, definitely in the open category. So AI is not going anywhere. And I think that, um, again, it's about solving real challenges. And so there are a couple other builders that are doing cool stuff. Christopher, I think, is definitely the farthest along right now. Um, But I think there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered, for example. Who will actually pay with Sats to do anything with AI? Right now, if you're a developer here in San Francisco, you know you're either just using the OpenAI API because it's easy. You're paying with your credit card on Stripe, or like last night I was at an open source uh, model meetup, and like by the way, those models just keep getting better and better, which is awesome. Like the Mistral and all those models, and the people there, you know, they maybe want to run it on their you know, an open source model on their own machine or maybe in someone else's cloud and they don't want to share their data with OpenAI for philosophical reasons or maybe it's cheaper, so economic reasons, but they don't know about or care about Bitcoin. <laughs> or worse, they think it's part of crypto, which is so frustrating for me. But um, so for those people, you know, unless they're very ideologically driven, which some of them are, but the majority are not, it doesn't matter. So they're, they, I think they will use Lightning and Noster if it solves a problem for them. So I don't know how we're going to kind of bootstrap this uh, truly open AI marketplace. I think Christopher's two bets are the best that I've seen so far. GPUtopia, plug in a GPU, get paid out in sats. Or open agents, launch an agent, get paid out in sats. 
Um, and there's a couple of reasons that either of those could work. One, maybe I live outside of the US or Europe or Japan and I'm outside of the traditional financial system. Maybe I'm a kid in Nigeria and this is the easiest way for me to get paid. That could work. Maybe I want to use uh, uncensored models that I don't want to be lobotomized. That could certainly work. Maybe it's a lot cheaper. I don't know. And I don't know what's going to kind of kickstart this. My guess is there's going to be some use case where people are either Bitcoiners with SATs or people that for whatever reason, they can't use the traditional means, just like how Bitcoin got bootstrapped. Maybe it'll even be kind of gray legal areas. Maybe it'll be you know outside of the US financial systems, but someone's going to need access to open AI, actually open AI, and Lightning and Nostra might be the best way for them to do it. Once that spins up, eventually it'll become a standard for all the reasons that we've talked about with open standards, um, just because open innovation always wins. And so in the long run, I'm very bullish on all the stuff because anything that's open to anyone will always outperform the closed systems full stop. Um, but how do we get started? I think that still remains to be seen. And I'm, you know, I've taken, you know, one, I mean, one investment here uh, with Christopher, but I'm very open and excited to make many more. But I, what I would love to see, and if there's a builder listening to this, is some unique insight. Why would someone use SATs or Nostra, but let's say probably Lightning Payments is going to come first. Um, why would they use your product with that? I don't know. And if you have a unique insight, hit me up. Yeah, I would say just from seeing it here on the ground, I think the biggest thing that, and I've written about this on Thriller, biggest thing that we're going to see with the AI and Nostra, or AI and specifically the Lightning side, is just the surveillance. All surveillance runs upstream. So I think mm -hmm. when when I look at this and I'm looking at projects built inside the lab and, and here in Austin, I think the biggest thing that that you're going to pony up your sats for your Bitcoin for is going to be because you want that um, you want that VPN like feature, right? You want that type of thing, and I think that's going to be the catalyst. Maybe it won't happen this year, maybe it won't happen next year, but at some point, do you know when I talk to Christopher about this, it's like at some point Altman's going to go full full uh, communist, right? That's just that's just that's just the natural occurrence of how these kind of big conglomerates go about. Now, I don't know the guy. I'm sure he's a great individual, but I will say, as Bitcoiners, we're there's some people on the ground already building and they're anticipating that. And I think when I look at you, you asked that question, how are they going to pony up their sats for? I think it's just for that VPN, that kind of, uh, that kind of access doesn't mean it'll always be that way, but I suspect that at some point that's just going to, how it's going to play out. But it's yeah, so early though. You, you very well could be right. I mean, I, I hope the crackdown or whatever, I hope it doesn't get too dystopian first, but you know, it very well might. And, and um, if, if that's the case, I'm glad we have our open networks. Yeah. Okay, let's jump into lightning. Uh, why is Keon so great? Like, why why did he why did he skate to the puck where a lot of us kind of saw early on Max where it was going to go? I think there was like when I look at when I look at that time in twenty one, it was like Oscar, Keon, and like who else am I forgetting there? Like who else were the people that kind of saw this value for value props so early? I know right now when I when I look at into the space right now, there's one team specifically. I'm thinking of Wave Lake where they're just mm -hmm. like they're going to flip the script on the whole thing. Um, is what, what, what is, what do you think that is Max? Why is well, first that? of all, I'm stoked to be investors in all those guys. And in that early stage, Roy from Breeze saw a lot. Oh yeah. Roy too. Yeah. I told, how did I miss Roy? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, look, well, I, I have my thoughts, but I'm going to flip the yeah, question. No, 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 no. Give me your thoughts. Right? Well, no, well, hold up. You, you, you sit with Keon every day. I watch you guys, you know, oh, you watch Stacker News Live. Oh, Stacker yeah. News Live. You yeah. see lots of builders. You you tell me first, like, why is he so awesome? Like he is, but you see a lot of people. Yeah, I think I think I've come to realize, like, when you meet people, there's just a especially for Bitcoin founders, there's just a certain thing. Maybe it's just the twinge in their eye, where they're just <laughs> built different. So that's one thing you need that. And then the second thing is is just the the amass the massive brain power, right? But it's also the humbleness that gets attached to that, knowing that you don't know the answer, knowing how to find it and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and then it's just also just like you wanting to build what you want in the world and you want that to happen. And then you figure out a way to, how to make it happen. Um, uh, yeah, that's I don't know. That's just kind of what I see. I go to yeah, him for advice all the time with my stuff. I'm like, hey, how are you thinking through this? Sometimes he's wrong. Most often he's right and it pisses me <laughs> off. But when he is wrong, I, I make sure to just say like, you were wrong. I was right. Finally, you know. There you go. You, you got to make sure to rub it in. Keep that humbleness <laughs> is one of the traits, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right, man. I think they're, you know, like you, I've, you know, had the fortune to be around a lot of founders and builders over the years, not just in Bitcoin, but in all kinds of startups. 
And yeah, I mean, like you absolutely can, I, I think, and, and this is why I like, you know, I mentioned like I'm being way stricter with taking meetings and stuff these days. Cause I, A, I know the markets I'm interested in, but B, like I can just kind of tell real fast, like, like before I knew the founder, um, I love to just like read something they've written or like listen to them on a podcast. I'm like, you can tell them five or 10 minutes or, or less. Like, is this person just like, is their intellectual horsepower off the charts or not? And if it is, okay, cool. That that's like necessary, but not sufficient. Then I, I think what's so rare, particularly with Kian, I think Oscar has some of this as well. You know, um, Oscar's also very smart. By the way, I think he was like an aeronautical engineer. Obviously, Kian's like yeah. self-taught everything, like like a true polymath. Um, the physicists, I love the physicists. Uh, although, although sometimes they're like, they struggle to like build the business part, but because uh, they have too many interesting ideas. But I, I think something else that um, that Kian in particular has, besides, I think he's clearly got the big brain. Um, clearly, you know, has been through the fire and you know, it's not his first startup, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He's tried things. He seems works. He's, he's humble enough to know what he doesn't know and learn stuff, but like also taste, like you, you just can't quantify that. It's so rare, so rare to find a really technical person that has like good taste, That's taste a good in point. music, taste in art. Like Ken's sight is beautiful. Oscar also, like he could have, I mean, like there's still some stuff that needs to be done with founder or whatever, but like he did almost all that himself too. And it's like, when you meet these people, you're like, how are you so smart? And like, kind of like, you know, the protocol level, big brain, but yet like, and with both those guys as well, like reading interesting books, listening to interesting podcasts, listening to good music. Like I hate to say it, but that, that's something else. Like I like to hear like, what kind of bands are people into like that? <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous, but I think it says a lot about someone's taste. That's interesting. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. I, I think Rook helps a lot with that too, if we're being honest. <laughs> Rook has some really what good is? taste. Kevin Rook, he works behind yeah. the scenes. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think yeah well, he's another guy, right? Like, and, and it's, to be clear, it doesn't have to be one dude. Like if you can have a team that, yeah. you know, maybe bring some of these skill sets together, even better. Yeah. Gosh, dude. Thank you for coming on the pod and talking about all this stuff, dude. You're, you're so real with, with all your questions, man. You, you so honest. Uh, I appreciate that. I mean, founders appreciate that. You're, you're one of those guys that came in the early days of Club Lab in 21. And all of us were like, yo, Max is here. Yo, Max is here. And we're all just like, you know, high-fiving each other and we're just hanging out like, you know, just Bitcoiners and stuff. So definitely, yeah, you definitely get that out of people, Max. That's really cool. Well, I, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, I'll never forget. Yeah. I guess in 21, when I came and visited you guys, uh, uh, it was like snowing and, um, yeah, like Austin. So first of all, y'all have incredible energy down there. I love all the builders, but like the, the couple of times I visited Austin, it's either been like 120 or like ice storm. So I, I, I need to come visit and look in the fall when it's nice, but yeah. And the ice storm I was like, ah, surely no one will be there. And I come into Plaid Lab and y'all are like all still there. I was like, okay, this is, mm-hmm. Something's happening here that, you know, the icy roads did not prevent all these guys from coming and building. So that, that was, I think, a really strong signal. But I think, yeah, man, like, I just think it's so cool that you guys have a place that you built and like, kudos to you, man. Like, I really, I miss that. It's something that I, um, you know, when I was at Bright in Mexico, I just, I loved coming to the office every day and seeing my friends and working on cool projects. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, I have friends in SF and stuff, but I really miss having that hub and I, I hope we get it again. I think it's just so special and, you know, forget the money forget the companies, just like being able to do cool stuff with your friends is like, I mean, what's better in life. Right. So yeah, absolutely. I yeah. I think for me, like we and Keon, we're always going to do this. It's just, we have a company attached to it. <laughs> it's always gonna, yeah. it's just, we're always going to work together in some capacity, whether it's just like doing separate things, but it's kind of fun. Um, Carl, while I've got you, if I could flip the script one more time and you asked me a bunch of stuff on AI and also yeah. whatever, yeah. you're closer to the ground than anyone what are you excited about right now? I think for, I think for me, just here in Austin specifically, I think for me, there's just this big kind of L2 conversation happening, whether it's Fetty, Liquid or any, some, you know, it, it just whatever side chain that is, right? I think like this is like the biggest conversations that are happening in and around the builders right now. They're all trying to figure out what's what, what's actually being told the truth, what's actually not being told the truth. And I just think that a lot of them are kind of looking out there right now and what they're doing. Also, we know Arc is going to be doing some stuff and Lightning Labs is doing their thing. And so like, I, and then you also have like Core Lightning, right? They're going to be doing some interesting things. So I think there's just a lot of that discussion happening right now. Um, and then the other thing, I, th- I think there's a small little group of us here in Austin that are very interested about the AI stuff. Uh, so much so where every time we do an AI workshop, Christopher just did one last week, but 
there's just people that we would never grab, Max, from outside mm -hmm. coming in and they'd find out, oh, this is a Bitcoin thing here. Like, <laughs> and then they figure out that later, right? So I think that's another really interesting thing on the ground that I'm seeing. And then right now, I feel like that's why I asked all the Nostra questions because a lot of, a lot of them also are wondering, like, is it worth my time to go and build on Oster knowing that there's no, you know, it's so early. And I, I think that wasn't the same thing a year ago or even six months ago. That's just kind of what I'm seeing on the ground. Doesn't mean my perception is real or not, but that's just kind of what I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's super fair. And again, I would say on that point, like if it if it's a tool that helps you solve a problem, for example, if you wanted to build just super simple example, but local Bitcoins today, Nostra makes a ton of sense to build it on. Why? Because you can have a shared order book with lots of apps, which means a lot more liquidity. And you inherit all the Bitcoin users that are, you know, on the Nostra social media apps. Like those people are your customers, right? So for something like that, I think it's like it's like a clear slam dunk. Um, for some of these kind of like more out there apps, I, I don't know. But again, I would kind of use the example of um of maybe Kian in 2021 when he was working on Stacker News, like that was early. I, I think very few people thought it was time for lightning apps, but he kind of looked ahead of the curve and had the skills to be able to, you know, run his own infrastructure he needed and yet also build this really cool app on top of it. So if Nostr allows you to do something new and you have people, particularly in the Bitcoin community, that's probably your early adopters that would use it, like absolutely do it. But I wouldn't just like shove Nostr in there to shove yeah. Nostr in there. There's, there's, yeah, like I was telling you, there's a team in, in Top Builder that are, I think they might be making the next eBay. Uh, I could be wrong. And it, it might be, it might be too early though, but the more time I spend with them, the more I get, I understand what they're doing and they're, you know, they're ex Amazon people. So like, that's not that they don't know what they're doing. So we'll see. I'll, I'll let you know after the show, all that kind of stuff. But that, yeah. that's, that's where I'm kind of looking at is like, I'm trying to be wowed, right? Like I was wowed by these other people in 21 and that's very rare these days on the Nostra side, but maybe there's something here with what they're doing. The, the other thing. Yeah. The other thing I just want to ask you, we'll just do rapid fire right now. just real quick. Cause I have, you know, I know I don't want to take up too much of your time. You're far more busier cool. than I am. Favorite album of all time. Oh man. Does it need to be your top one? Just like your favorite album. Wow. That, that is really hard. Favorite album. Hmm. Well, I, I don't know about favorite album. I think a bit more on this, but I'll give you some of my favorite sort of bands and artists of all time that just come to, to mind. Yeah. Um, the Brian Jones Town Massacre. I really wow, love. Really, really. Psychedelic rock and shoegaze. Oh, for sure. Um, favorite band and album of the last year. This band Wednesday put out an album. I, I'm blanking on the name right now, but their album from last year is just like also kind of like I'm not really into country, uh, even mm -hmm. though I'm from the south. But it was kind of like country shoegaze. I think they're like oh, the wow. best band I've seen live since BJM. So definitely that. Um, on the uh, hip hop side, you know, I'm obviously very hip hop. Used to release records myself hopefully we'll be back in that one day i um man there's a lot of good music coming out right now i think uh in recent years i mean obviously favorites of all time jay dilla mad lib i love those guys as producers and you know listen to whatever kind of stuff they've inspired um there's a lot of rappers putting out cool stuff in the underground right now i mean i've been this guy uh Hus Kingpin. I really like some of his new stuff. He has this this album called Portis Hus, which is like kind of an exploration of Portis Head inspired beats. Wow. Dope. I love trip hop and like kind of like late nineties electronica. So Portis Head, Massive Attack. Um, I love in that sort of like electronic genre, Boards of Canada. That's a fantastic group that I wish they would put out some more stuff. Um, yeah, man, I, I love music. I like a lot of different stuff. This guy, I think one of the guys that's most slept on in the world, uh, actually, there are a couple odd Nostum or odd Nostum. I don't know how you even say it. Um, he was part of a group called Cloud Dead. That album, by the way, the Cloud Dead original album is insane. Um, it's kind of like experimental hip hop. He's one of the best wow. makers I think, ever and very slept on. This uh, lady, Lali Puna, I think has a really cool uh, electronic app that's like super, um, act that's super slept on. So yeah, man, I like a lot of music. What's uh, I'll ask you one last question. Cause you dropped so much alpha right there. I need to go back and listen to all these, you know, another thing I've been doing is like going on wave. Lake. I'm about to do a post for Sam and those guys. And I, I went and kind of did the whole discovery thing. I found like really eight really great songs. So watch out yeah. for that. But I'm going to play more on wave. Lake. and actually before you just one question, I meant to ask you earlier. Yeah. You said wave Lake is going to flip the narrative. Why are you so bullish on this project particularly? So 
the one thing that, and, and Keon was early on this too, because I remember I was at the time in 21, he was talking about, or 22, we, we did a post, one of the guys who writes for Thriller did a post on it and we released it and it was so early, but I remember saying, I was like, Keon, I don't know, like, you know, and then it wasn't until here recently, I would say within around TabConf, you know, after talking to Michael and really thinking through like how he views it and, and where it was headed, I realized the thing that we're not, they're not even touching yet is the audience participation. So all the thing that makes, all the things that make Spotify great aren't yet built into WAV like, and I don't mean just like the, the, the infrastructure or the, the talent pool or the albums. I mean, all the social interactions, the, yeah. the, the following, the followers, the playlists. I think the playlist feature on itself is going to be something that's just going to blow us out of the mind as far as like, and they're going to have to think through of the, the mechanisms of how that's prismed out amongst everybody. And that's when yeah. I think when we get to that point, Max, we're going to see far more people start launching apps in this kind of like ecosystem. And I think once we get the, the musicians are going to come regardless, but the culture is really what's going to really going to make that happen. So. And I love these like value for value music podcasts that are happening. Yeah. Like I love the idea, like one day, and this is where Nostra actually is potentially interesting, right? Because like Wavelength yes. is like off Nostra, right? So you get like all that yes. social stuff with you. That could probably be the thing that actually gets Nostra ahead of everything. And I don't think people are thinking through those, at least not yet, right? But if you have something like a Wavelake or like a fountain that's doing all these things and it's utilizing Nostra, right? That could be the thing that actually get Nostra off the ground. Is, totally. is, the, is the music aspect of it. It's the same thing we saw with Napster. It's like, well, why was Napster so great? Oh, it's because you traded MP3. No, dude, it wasn't until Apple came out with the, you know, with their iPod and iTunes and the iMac and the CD burner and all that stuff where people were like, no, now you can actually use these MP3s legally and you're, yeah. So it's, it's the same thing all over again. This is why I love Sam and the way he thinks that team, the way they think through things, it's, it's so painfully obvious, Max. It's well, and I love this idea of like, as someone that loves, and sounds like I know you do as well, like music and curating music. I think the curator, like the artist for sure, but also the curators are right? like, if you're doing like cool DJ sets or like making cool playlists mm -hmm. and you can get paid to make playlists, like, man, I just think that's going to be a So when nature. I was talking to the artists about this, you know, I just had an artist on here recently. And then she's telling me on the other side of why something like this works on the publishing side, on the right side, Max, and you know this, you're a musician. So to me, when you see these things connect, it's going to be like, you're, you're just going to, it's just going to go like this straight up. And then people are gonna be like, whoa, we missed it. And be like, no, you didn't. You just weren't <laughs> paying attention. Uh, and I think that's where we're kind of headed with the, anyway. Anyway, yeah. So, so the last last question: What's the last what's the last piece of art that you've uh, you've enjoyed or appreciated that that um, whether it's art, music, anything like what's film? Like, what's the last thing that you've appreciated oh, that just really wowed okay. you? Well, book. Let me see if I've got it. Yes, I don't think I have it. Actually, I do have it right for me. So, I just finished reading this book called Prometheus Rising by Robert wow. Anton Wilson, and this is. Um, Man, this I think is perhaps one of the the best explanations of what humanity is and where we're going that I've ever read. And I would say it's something like a more uh, maybe psychedelic sapiens, and it's just like it's just next level. And so um, the the thesis of it is he basically looks at uh, the brain, and, and he has a lot of these questions about the self-referential nature of consciousness, basically the, like the system that we talked about, the Bitcoin Orbis, but I think it's just like, it's a, a function of consciousness. And you can see this in mathematics, like with Girdle's incompleteness theorem, like um, the, the you're not separate from everything else, but you're a subset of that everything else, but you you can't see everything else because you're you're just one piece of it. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so he, he, he riffs a lot on that and talks about, you know, the different circuits in the brain and kind of how consciousness like how organisms have evolved and where we might be evolving to next. Um, and I think it's, it's both just fascinating and also really interesting from, for me, like even from an investing perspective in a way, because I think, you know, we kind of went from the industrial age to the, or the agricultural age, hunter gatherers, agricultural, industrial, and now and information, we're just getting started at the information age, but the logic of each of those ages is almost like a quantum leap. It's just like a totally different thing. And I think the logic of economics in this age is also going to be radically different when you have extremely cheap energy, you have, um, you know, nearly instant free or almost free payments around the world, you know, 
sharing like the things that are still scarce are obviously Satoshi's and attention. And so I think this is why partially why I'm so bullish on open source and sharing, right? Like the more you share, the more you kind of get people hooked into your ideas and grow that, you know, group around your ideas, the better position you are to be not like hoarding. And this is one thing where I also, you know, yes. have somewhat of a different view than a lot of Bitcoiners. Um, but being in the middle of flows. And that's why I like Lightning Network so much is it's a flow network. You're never, your, your Bitcoin is not stagnant. People are rewarded for figuring out where to point that flow. And I think that's kind of just like the logic of the network. And um, anyways, we can reflect a lot more on that, but this book is fantastic. If those topics interest you, I suggest checking it out. Yeah, we're going to check it out. Yeah, it's a scarcity versus the abundance mindset. And I, I think a lot of founders have to struggle with that. But once you get to the, uh, there is no scarcity. It's more abundance mm-hmm. that you, uh, yeah, that's when you really... Things start cooking. Awesome. It's always good to be reminded of that. And, and, and I know, that, you know, sometimes, yeah, it's like, it's, it's your, your physical reality may not yet uh, reflect that. And we all go through periods of forgetting. And, you know, even if you have all the material stuff, maybe you lose some of the spiritual abundance or whatever you want to call it. But it's it's good to be reminded and it's good to have friends around you. And that's what you guys have in Pleb Lab, yeah, to keep you motivated and keep you, you know, pushing for abundance for all.